What's going on everybody, it's Ian Barr here and welcome back to another installment of Wise Guys Hideaway. Today we're going to be talking about the late, the great, the Don Vito him fucking self, Vito Genovese. Now, Vito Genovese needs no introduction, uh, his name still holds in New York for one of the five families, the Genovese family. He was, he's a true legend in organized crime and this is going to be part one of a two-part series that I do on Vito Genovese. Before we get into that, though, I gotta get into a few shout-outs here. Shout-out to my boy Gunnar Lindblom, author of To Be a King's Volume 1 and 2, and the proprietor of uh, Our Thing Clothing Apparel, which this podcast is a promoter, a sponsor, and an endorser of, also a partner with, as a matter of fact. Big shout-out to my boy Ronnie the Cockroach. Hope your dad's doing better. I hope you're hanging in there, buddy. Hope everybody's hanging in there during this uh, sort of trivial time in our lives, but... uh you know, we're over here at Wise Guys Hideaway, we're doing our thing, we're uh, we're trying to keep y'all entertained while we quarantine. Another shout out to all my boys, Nick D, Wolfgang, David Haley, you know, all you guys that uh, that been showing me love and showing me mad support that I grew up with, you know, I, I, I'm thanking you from the bottom of my heart, guys, for real, I mean, I really appreciate it. Shout out to my boy James Ramirez, you know, Boston Rob, Paulie G out in New York, you know, Danny T, Vincent the Librarian, Apra, you know, David Brexpire in London, shout out to all you guys, let's get into it here. Now, born on November 21st, 1897, in Rizzigliano, uh, Tofino, Italy, which I do believe is near Naples. I might be completely wrong on that, but that's where I do believe it is from. Uh, Vito Genovese would grow up to be one of the most ruthless crime bosses ever. Now, he'd live a full 71 years. He would die on February 14th, 1969 in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, he would actually die while incarcerated. He would be convicted in 1959 on uh, a federal narcotics case, and he'd be sentenced to 15 years. Now, a little oversight about Vito Genovese. Uh, he was married twice. His first wife was Donatana Vergone, who would die of tuberculosis. We'll get into that a little down the road. That was his first wife. And his second wife was uh, Anna Genovese, who he, I think he sort of had a thing with, even during his first wife, you know, even during his first marriage. Because pretty much almost immediately, as soon as she dies, he, um, I mean, he hops right on it, guys. Like I said, we'll, uh, we'll get into it a little down the road here. But Vito Genovese is most known for, uh, excuse me, had to take a puff real quick. He's, uh, he's probably most notable for expanding the heroin trade in the United States from Sicily to the United States. I mean, he was a real big player in that, you guys. I mean, he was, he, I mean, he's also the one who uh, helped set up the murder of Albert the Mad Hatter, Anastasia, uh, him and Carlo Gambino, and uh, he would play a big role in the Frank Costello murder as well, well, not the Frank Costello murder, the botched murder of Frank Costello, where uh, Vincent de Cengigante, a soldier for Genovese, would go to Frank Costello's apartment building, you know, and as Frank Costello entered, he, you know, he yelled, this one's for you, Frank, Frank Costello turns and bop, Vincent the Chen shoots, misses, skimming Frank Costello's head. In court, said Frank Frank Costello would say that he couldn't remember who shot him. And uh, on his walk out, Vincent the Chen would uh, notably say, "Thanks, Frank." You know, but though that's a that's a story for down the road. But Frank Costello was who was put in charge of the Luciano family after Genovese, you know, became acting boss and then went to jail again. But we'll get into that uh, down the road. Another notable part about Genovese is that he probably has one of the most famous turncoats in his family ever, Joe Valachi. Now, Joe Valachi was the first one to really uh, introduce organized crime to America, like 
in a broadcast sense. He went in front of the Senate committee and he sort of just gave up everything he knew about Genovese, Cambino, you know, I mean, Profaci, all the guys. I, I mean, all the big players in the game at the time. Now, eventually when Genovese would be convicted, he would die in prison on February 14th, 1969. Uh, but he, he wouldn't go down without becoming a, a bona fide legend in organized crime. So, without further ado... Here's the life of Vito Genovese. Now, he was born in Risigliano, uh, which is a providence near Naples in Italy, on November 21st, 1897. He was born to parents Francis Felice Genovese, uh, who was his father, and his mother, Nuziata Eloto uh, Genovese. Now, the pair had a couple of children, actually, besides Vito. He had a sister named Jenny, who would actually end up marrying uh, Richard Persico, another sort of connected individual. And he also had two brothers named Michael and Carmine who would become very, very active members in the Genovese crime family once the Genovese crime family became the Genovese crime family. He also had a, I mean, his whole, I mean, his whole family was just kind of intertwined into this lifestyle because he also had a cousin, Michael, who would end up being the head of the Pittsburgh crime family uh, at one point in time. Now, Genovese wasn't, he wasn't a very large man. He stood only five foot seven, but he made a very imposing figure out of himself. He had just these dark eyes, this, this sort of aura about him that looked like he would kill you for fucking up his eggs. You know what I mean? Like he'd say over easy, you'd bring sunny side up and you'd be dead. And I mean, he sort of adhered to that. I mean, I can't even put a number on the amount of people. I feel like Vito Genovese himself has killed, let alone ordered out. I, I just know it's, it's definitely, it's definitely in the hundreds. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, Genovese would only achieve what would really be more like a, I mean, I guess like a first grade education today, but back then it was considered a fifth grade education. That's, I mean, that's the highest education he would achieve, you guys. And eventually in 1913, his father would uh, immigrate the family to America and they would eventually settle in the, you know, the neighborhood of Little Italy in Manhattan, which was a very tight knit Italian community, Sicilian community too, you know, I mean, all, all one and the same, but not if you ask them, um, he would almost instantly take to the streets like a lot of these guys, you know what I mean, he's seen who was making money in the neighborhood, he's seen who had, you know, the finer things in life, and he pretty much almost instantly went to that, now he was 15 when the family moved here, so I mean, that's a very impressionable age, and Genovese really begins hitting the streets hard, you know, robbing, stealing, uh, I mean, trying to do whatever he can to make a buck. Now, eventually, when he's 19, Genovese would be convicted on a firearms charge. He would serve one year, and it would sort of do him justice because it would treat it would teach him, you know, sort of the harder side of uh, the criminal reality. I mean, because Vito Genovese would end up in prison on countless occasions. And, I mean, he would sort of kind of have to get used to that whole institutionalized mindset because it, it would happen so over to him so much in his life. And uh, he really, it really didn't seem to shake him, you guys. Like, he really, Vito Genovese was one of the gangsters that I can say would go in and out of prison and it, and it never seemed to, there was never one stint he did where he came out shook from it. It never, never bothered him. I mean, another thing it would do is it would give him time to toughen up right before the biggest racket of all time was about to be, you know, sort of just flopped into the, the laps of organized crime, that'd be uh, prohibition. And in 1920, when he gets out, he 
almost instantly begins working for Joe the Boss Mazzaria, which is who Lucky Luciano was working for at the time. And he befriends Luciano. He befriends Frank Costello. He's not really a big fan of Bugsy Siegel or Meyer Lansky. He's, uh, he's a bit prejudiced in the sense that he doesn't feel that Italians and Sicilians should work with Jewish gangsters. He doesn't, you know, quite get that. But one Jewish gangster will, uh, I mean, sort of flip that on his head because he, he almost instantly, like all the rest of them, begins working with Arnold the Brain Rothstein. I mean, because as soon as the Prohibition era hit, Arnold the Brain Rothstein backs all these would-be nickel-and-dime gangsters uh, with endless funds to begin bootlegging. And, and bootleg they did, you guys. I mean, I'm telling you, they they ran booze all over the country, and they made immense amounts of money doing it. When the 20s hit, the government thought that by getting booze off the street, by you know ridding the streets of booze, you could somehow rid the streets of crime or rid the streets of uh, undesirables and degenerates. That just wasn't the case. It almost put it almost put more degenerates out there on the streets because everybody wanted to drink. Everybody loves things that are taboo. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you make something taboo, if you tell people they can't do something, the first thing they want to do is go do that very fucking thing. And it is no different with drinking. If anything, it would be almost like, I guess, outlawing cigarettes. I think the only thing that would outdo alcohol is if you were to outlaw tobacco. I think people would go nuts between the amount of people who chew and smoke and vape. And, I mean, we see what happened with the vapes. I mean, they brought them back almost instantly. Like, But Prohibition would last until 1933. So they, they had a decade-plus stretch of uh, bootlegging and just kind of, you know, running amok through the city. You know, Luciano, Genovese, Costello, Lansky, Siegel, you know, Dutch Schultz, all these guys that I've been doing podcasts on, uh, with the exception of Danny Green, that me and my boy, shout out Ronnie Roach, talked about uh that was a more of a 60s 70s era type of a gangster like i've been sticking to the 20s because it is the 20s again you guys and uh i find it funny that 100 years has gone by and we haven't learned a fucking thing we haven't learned a thing the government like the government will never outlaws outlaw booze again i guess we learned one thing but that was only because it made too many you know irish italian and jewish gangsters rich made them rich beyond their wildest dreams gave them immense amounts of power and the government's not ever trying to lose that kind of power to some street hoods again that's the only thing that keeps it you know from getting that bad again but the government's definitely uh definitely still playing their same tricks the gangsters are still playing their same tricks the only difference is everybody's connected and everybody's taking pictures and filming videos i mean which definitely did definitely puts a damper on organized crime but anyhow now by 1930 uh General Vesel will eventually be indicted on counterfeiting, and he eventually uh, he eventually works his way out of that. But then he murders an individual by the name of Galeanto Rina, who was the leader of a Bronx-based gang on February 26, 1930, for Mazaria. After Mazaria and Rina had a, a falling out. Genovese was sort of the go-to guy to, to take care of it. Genovese did not give a fuck, you guys. I gotta tell you. I mean, he was a cold-blooded son of a bitch. He, he, he'd he shoot you just as soon as strike a deal with you. And this would become really handy to him in this upcoming period in his life, the Castamalasi Wars, uh, which was the warring era in, in early 1931 between Joe the Boss Mazzaria and Salvatore Maranzano. Now, Luciano was with Mazzaria, along with Genovese, but after the warring just went and died down, eventually Luciano decides, well, I mean, sort of decided for everybody that Mazaria had to go. Sal Maranzano had promised Lucky Luciano that he would get set, uh, Joe Mazaria's rackets 
and he would take over all of his turf and that they would be equals. There'd be no more boss of bosses or capo duty copy. That that would be that would be a dead era amongst the mustache peats, uh, which were the old time Sicilian dons in New York and in in the country in general at that time. And so Luciano goes for it and he aligns himself with Maranzano. And then on April fifteenth, nineteen thirty one, Vito Genovese, along with other, the other shooters Albert Anastasia, uh, Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, and Joe Adonis, they ambush Maseria at a Coney Island restaurant. Now Luciano had sort of lured them there under the pretense that they were they were having a business meeting they they ate lunch they were playing pinochle luciano excuses himself to the bathroom genovese and all the boys come in bat 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 that's all she freaking wrote maseri is done sew them up it's a wrap now shortly after that salvatore maranzano declares himself boss of bosses he says i'm capo duty copy even though luciano's a boss it, it it didn't matter to Maranzano. He always had it on his mind that he was gonna still be the big dick swinging in organized crime, if you will. It's such a you know ignorant way to put it, but I mean that's the best way I can think to put it. And Luciano wasn't having it. I mean neither was Genovese really. I mean Genovese really always kind of had his sights set on being a boss himself, even though he aligned himself with Luciano, worked under Luciano, worked under uh, Mazaria, under Maranzano, whoever he had to to get ahead. Vito Genovese definitely always had in the back of his brain that I, I could run a crime borgata or a crime family, if you will, as well as any of these guys. But he he was still very close to Luciano, and he wouldn't really think to strike a foul court against Luciano. And in September of 1931, Genovese and Luciano actually orchestrate the uh, Maranzano murder together. And, you know, Luciano sort of sets up the commission. Or doesn't sort of set up the commission. He sets up the commission and Genovese is put, you know, underneath Luciano along with Costello and all the guys that, you know, Luciano feels that he can trust. Now, it's around this time in 1931 that Genovese's first wife dies. She dies from tuberculosis, and almost instantly Genovese has his set sight on Anna Patello. Now, she's actually already married to Gerald Vernacchio, or, yeah, yeah, Vernacchio, yeah, Vernacchio. Uh, I'm sorry guys, sometimes these names are they're hard to pronounce and I'm not Italian, so I'm sorry to all my friends out there who speak fluent Italian who are like, ah, you're just butchering the fucking language. I do apologize, but nonetheless, uh, this Anna girl is already married, and instead of, you know, being like, well, I mean, I should have taken a chance and I had it, or it is what it is, no, Genevieve kills her fucking husband, and eventually on March 16th, 1932, Vernaccio is found strangled to death in Lower Manhattan. And then on March 28, 1932, Genovese and Anna, uh, they marry. So, I mean, I don't know if she was so afraid of this guy that once he did that, she was like, well, you know what? I guess I'd just as soon marry him as, or if she was infatuated with him just as much as she was her husband, she wanted her husband. I don't know the tale behind that. All I do know is that this guy <laughs> murdered somebody's so he could steal their wife, and that, I mean, that's just as ruthless as it gets, you guys, I don't, I don't care who you are, that's some, that's some pretty cold-blooded gangster shit, <laughs> now, in 1934, Genovese, uh, is alleged to have ordered the murder of Fernard Basacci, or Basia, Basia, excuse me, who had actually previously been a partner with Genovese, they had been in a few money-making schemes together, and eventually Genovese just felt like, you know, he, he couldn't trust this guy anymore. And there, there were things that had gone wrong and he had to go. I mean, that's just the story of any of these guys' lives is sometimes you like somebody, but sometimes they have to go. And eventually it would, it would all sort of line up for Genovese, but n not in the time period he needed to. Because on June 18th, 1936, 
uh, Lucky Luciano is sentenced to 30 to 50 years for his part in uh, running a prostitution uh, racket. And he makes Genovese the acting boss. Soon after that, on November 25th, 1936, Genovese actually becomes a citizen. But as we, you know, sort of lump into 1937, Genovese begins fearing prosecution for his part in the Bassia murder. And he sort of, he clears out almost three quarter of a mil, around 750,000. And he flees to Italy, to the city of Nola. And he hides out there and he, uh, and he backs Mussolini and he sort of begins this whole descent into becoming the ruthless crime boss you will. However, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow to hear the conclusion of Vito Genovese. I appreciate you guys joining me over here at Wise Guys Hideaway. I hope you're staying in. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're saying I love you to everybody you care about because you never know. You just never know. We love you over here at Wise Guys Hideaway. Take care, you guys.